This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. What are the governing Ford progressive conservatives planning to do to make the province's nursing homes safer? After a string of murders perpetrated by killer nurse Elizabeth Wetlofer, the former provincial liberals launched an inquiry headed by Justice Eileen Galise, which in turn came out with a list of recommendations. Minister of Long-Term Care Dr. Marilee Fullerton has announced that the province is acting on the inquiry's key recommendations. She joined Libby Snymer on Wednesday to drill down on what that actually means. We started to work very diligently as soon as we had the recommendations, and we've completed 18, and uh, another 40 are underway. So we're making good progress, and and safety and well-being of the residents of our long-term care homes are a priority. And uh, so the medication management was one area, and staffing was was the other that we've really focused on with uh, with our 12 recommendations coming from the Ministry of Long-Term Care that we've completed. Well, I, I really want to talk about staffing. You've announced that you will conduct a study to determine adequate levels of staffing but don't we already don't we already know this thing, these these things i mean isn't this just delaying implementation well we if we want the right solutions and the necessary solutions then we need to understand the problem and that's why we've put together a very um very experienced panel an expert advisory panel uh, and that's got a fairly open uh, mandate and it will be consulting with our stakeholders, our care professional organizations, and really reaching out to make sure that we've done the proper consultation and collaboration to understand this problem fully. If we look back on the last 15 years, uh, really the neglect of the long-term care sector um, is evident. And, and in my mind, it's appalling. As a frontline uh, family physician, I recognize that. And as a, as a family member of people affected by Uh, by the shortage, I recognize it. And so uh, I understand what it is uh, for families and caregivers and and people waiting, our loved ones waiting for long-term care. So, yes, I'm coming from a background in medicine, so, you know, I kind of hear the word study and I go, oh, well, you know, another study. But in this case, absolutely necessary to understand the problem. We are acting to put long-term care as a priority. The first time that this has ever been uh, made a priority by any government, uh, a dedicated ministry that is wanting to understand the issues from stakeholders and representative organizations. Uh, one of the things they recommended are more uh, registered nurses on site at long-term care. Uh, it is said that that will require some money. There should be money made available for that. So there is a, a shortage of PSWs, and that is something that we are going to have to work ministry-wide, government-wide, uh, on this approach, it will involve other ministers, other other parts of government to be able to um, produce and retain and recruit our PSWs. But also speaking about the, the RNs, we, we do seem to have sufficient RPNs from some of the studies that I've been reading. Now, the RN aspect is, is more of an issue. 
So that we, we've been addressing that through some of the uh, college and university programs most recently uh, and announcing uh, colleges being able to have um, the nursing programs uh, more widely. So there are approaches that need to be taken. This will be a government-wide approach to dealing with a staffing strategy, and it will take um, a, a good understanding of these issues to create the right solutions now and going into the future. So PSWs are valued members of our human resource workforce, um, and for 15 years, the previous government did not address this growing uh, shortage. And so our government is making long-term care priority. We are addressing the staffing shortage and and really engaging our sector, collaborating with our sector to understand their concerns and their issues, and act, acting. And I think that's a really important part of this. Is there any deadline for this? Yes. These will be implemented by the end of 2020, the staffing strategy. But it, it will be a comprehensive staffing uh, plan. And so we're taking action. Right. Okay, but with issues that have been have part been of the issues and neglected for many years, if if I may, part of the issue is that these PSWs are underpaid, and they have very difficult working conditions. Uh, so again, without more money, how is that going to be resolved? Well, the expert uh, advisory panel has has gotten is basically open ended. It will uh, inform a staffing strategy through its consultations with representative organizations, including care professional organizations. And so we, uh, we're looking forward to hearing what they, they bring back. Um, but it will be a comprehensive, broad sector consultation. Minister of Long-Term Care, Dr. Marilee Fullerton, in conversation with Libby Snymer. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We learned this past week of yet another delay for the opening of the Eglinton Crosstown LRT from September of 2021 to sometime in 2022. The project was initially slated to finish this year. The latest delay is jeopardizing the livelihoods of dozens of business owners and their families and stressing and inconveniencing hundreds of other people who live, work or drive along Eglinton Avenue. Joining Libby to discuss the situation, Nick Alampi, chair of the York Eglinton Business Improvement Area and Ward 8 Eglinton Lawrence City Councilor Mike Cole. So I've been counting them uh, since uh, early last year basically from uh, Keel Street uh, all the way over to Young Street, and there's at least 100 at the time I did the count. Uh, they're closing, and I'm sure we're, uh, Nick is right in the middle of it, and uh, he'll tell you how they've been falling like flies along Eglinton, especially where he is there right in the uh, heart of the construction near the uh, Eglinton West Station. Uh, yeah, Nick, so a hundred, but I'm sure that a lot more than that are actually struggling. And they definitely are due to the recent announcement that just came out, especially there's a lot of people who are unsure whether or not they can hold on. Uh, for those that their leases are coming up and for those who want to invest in the area, uh, there's a big challenge of, will there, will there be another delay? And if I do put future investment in here, is it a smart move to do right now or just wait? And that's the biggest frustration for us as a BIA and independent business owners. One of the things you say, Mike Cole, is that you want the authorities to stop treating business people as collateral damage with these projects. 
Yes, uh, what happens is when there's a trailer parked in front of your business on your front door, not for a day or two or for six months, and they really don't have any way of uh, helping that person, they just say, well, you've got to live with it. Meanwhile, that business uh, goes under because they cannot pay their uh, rent. They, they, no customers come in. So Metrolink just says, oh, well, we'll help you. We'll clean up in front or put up a sign for you. But meanwhile, they cannot sustain a trailer parked in front of their door, uh, which there is just uh, west of Oakwood on Eglinton. They can't sustain that for months and months and up to a couple of years. And, and I'm agreeing with Michael on this because, Libby, as you mentioned, St. Clair went through the hardship that they did, but it's a completely different ball game. St. Clair was a City of Toronto project. This is a Metrolinx project, which is, again, all three levels of government. And today, I know a lot of business would say they would love some financial support, but I guarantee that there'd be a lot that wouldn't mind even some form of support of a investment back into their business due to the hardship that's happening. Even if it's like a, uh, a mortgage or a loan that's barely, very little interest to no interest just to extend their businesses. A lot of them right now are asking some form of financial support, yes, but they're not looking to take it and run. They're looking to sustain the area and keep its culture vibrant with its services, specifically with food, services in regards to any other hair, fashion, dental, medical, all of that that's happening that's still here is essential, but it's, it's having its hardship when its customers and its patrons are saying, I'm afraid to park there. I'm afraid to be there. I'm afraid to drive there. It's taking too long. It's taking too much of my time. That's where we're going back to Crosslinks and Metrolinks and saying, enough is enough. We, we've taken it. There's businesses that have not survived. Now we want some help. And the help should be in some form of compensation in regards to other projects that are happening across Canada. So, Mike, what do you do next? Well, we need more people like uh, Nick Alampi and the York Eglinton Business uh, BIA there to speak out like he's doing and uh, uh, because I can, uh, you know, ring the alarm bells and Councillor Matlow, we can do our thing. But as Nick knows, uh, we got to get more business people to uh, ask uh, the province to support uh, this call for compensation. And because you can't blame the province either, because if they're not getting emails, calls, uh, directly, they're not going to take action because they've got all kinds of other uh, important things to deal with. So we urge people right across Eglinton to get in touch with your provincial government members, your city councillors, everybody to say we need a, a plan with some money to help us get through this really tough, difficult time coming ahead. Okay, and Nick Alampi, anything you want to leave us with? I'm hoping that everything that's being heard today and said is going to be completed with proper action. And we're looking forward as our membership for some form of support because they are in need of it. And they're they're tired of what's being talked about. They want action. So oh. we're hoping in the next few days we'll start seeing something. Nick Alampi, chair of the York Eglinton Business Improvement Area and Ward 8 Eglinton Lawrence City Councillor Mike Cole. They spoke with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. It's been named Plategate on social media based on the new blue Ontario license plates that are difficult or even impossible to read at night 
and in certain lighting. When pictures first started surfacing of the unreadable plates, Ontario's Minister of Government and Consumer Services, Lisa Thompson, defended the plates and said there was no issue with them. Less than 24 hours later, both she and the Premier admitted there are problems. Doug Ford says his government is working with a manufacturer responsible for the plates to fix any issues with their visibility at night. NDP MPP Jennifer French is the critic of transportation and highways, and Brian Patterson is president of the Ontario Safety League. They both joined Libby's Nimer on Thursday to talk about this hot-button issue. There are a few issues that I've come across that have gathered so much and so quickly the attention of um, just folks across all communities. People see this as um, a, a bit ridiculous and a, a bit, well, and, and this, the, it concerning in terms of safety. These license plates, um, there was so much fanfare when they were announced, um, and they were very clearly exciting to the government and, and you know, PC party blue. Um, but there was such haste to get them out um, that 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 seems... It seems to have been self-serving, and unfortunately now, as we are hearing from Toronto, as we are seeing with our own eyes, um, that they have been rolled out without being road tested. So, you know, they say haste makes waste, and literally, uh, in this case, it does. We have, we're hearing reports of the 16,000 perfectly, um, perfectly good old license plates, the former white ones, that were originally going to be utilized. And they have been sent to the scrap heap instead of being phased out. Um, you know, that speaks to the rush and the um, and perhaps the the government's goals rather than the the best the best needs for safety and community. Brian Patterson, what is the the safety issue here, and I gather that there were actually some problems with the old ones, not so much when they come hot off the press, but as uh, as they age, those older plates can become hard to read. Yeah, this is a file that's been uh, kicking around probably five, maybe eight years. Uh, so there was a, uh, I guess, a, a feeling that the plate should be changed about eight years ago. And before they got through that, consultation then we had the ones that were bubbling and peeling and the uh, the the vinyl was coming off the vendor took no responsibility under those circumstances and i think ultimately the uh, um, the ministry absorbed the cost meaning you and me paid for the shoddy material that was provided by the vendor and uh, this process was again probably five years in the making so uh, i think it's uh, it's unfortunate I don't see it as political. Uh, I see it purely as safety that uh, we we got uh, uh, we ended up buying all of the uh, uh, the data and engineering from a vendor who you know provided an umbrella that doesn't keep the rain out, but it has lots of other features. Well, the other features on this license plate, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. The primary requirement of a license plate for the public is to be able to read it with your eyeball, not to be able to read it with some high-tech equipment, which was going to be yet another purchase required by police to be able to do that. So I think uh, I, I never saw lobbying like we saw from the uh, manufacturer on this product five years ago. So uh, I think uh, they, they took a bit of time to get there, but the reality is it is the manufacturer's problem. The manufacturer's got to fix it, and 
the taxpayers of Ontario shouldn't be paying for it. Jennifer French, are you confident that this thing is in hand? We heard that the the premier was on the phone to the manufacturer twice. I mean, uh, the minister, you have to say she did uh, mishandle it at first. There were people actually laughing at her. Are are you convinced that this thing is is, uh, on the road to being fixed? I'm convinced of nothing with this government. Um, I do recognize that the push from the broader community, from safety experts, you know, and from the, the feedback will continue to apply, put that pressure on the, on the Premier and this government to ensure that it is handled. Fundamentally, there are safety concerns. Um, those cannot be left, um, you know, to, to just to grow and multiply. Um, so I am, I am sure that this government will keep moving forward on a fix because I don't believe that Ontarians would let them get away with anything less. I don't know what that would look like. Um, you know, it was very interesting the first day in the legislature when, you know, I questioned the minister and she came back with, everyone likes them, you know, the plates are great, it's fine. She celebrated the technology. And then there was the reverse course on, you know, the, the finger pointing to 3M. So that's between the government and their partner in terms of who is responsible for what. But when we look at the you know, the, the prototypes or the plates and, and imagine how they would have been tested once they came up with the design and the material. That is where we need to ensure that any new system or product that is going to, um, you know, be utilized across the province does have um, a, a pathway of actual testing and feedback. Um, there, there is no excuse for that. So that is something that, however this is remedied, and it has to be remedied, people have to be kept safe, it's a chance for the government to also do, the, you know, that hard look of, as a constituent said to me, this is a government that is ready, fire, aim. And unfortunately, this is another example. Why are we testing after the fact, after they have been rolled out? Libby's Nimer in conversation with MPP Jennifer French, NDP critic of transportation and highways and Brian Patterson, president of the Ontario Safety League. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. It's getting close to tax time. The RRSP deadline is coming up on March 2nd, along with mandatory RIF withdrawals, a perfect time to get organized and do some planning to try to lower the big tax bill many Canadians face. Always a wealth of knowledge. Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com, was in studio with Libby on Wednesday to offer some guidance. Most people I meet and most Canadians spend their working years accumulating assets and they focus on investing. Investment returns, how much did this stock or this mutual fund make for myself? But what what I've noticed is that people haven't done any planning. Planning is very different. Certainly as you get a little older, you know, 50, you know, you're getting closer to retirement, you know, you have a totally different philosophy, which is, you know, I need to preserve my money. And I also have to make sure that I've got maximizing my income during retirement. And I'm also more concerned about tax efficiency. So what we like our clients to do is really do some planning where you take all of their assets and first of all, make sure they get a big check mark that they're not going to run out of money at retirement. And it also helps us understand if there are going to be any taxes now and if they're going to buy a a retirement home or they're going to give money away to to kids or to charities. You know, 
factor all of that in and then sort of take them out to life expectancy. You know, today it's like age 90 and sort of figure out what the taxes might be like then. And if they're going to have any, what I call never spend money, meaning they haven't spent all their money, but they might have a whole bunch of taxes. Then there's a whole bunch of planning that we can help them with to sort of preserve their estate for their family. Mark, what are the most common questions people ask when it comes to retirement planning? Uh, You know, it's interesting. I, I kind of summarize it into three questions. Everyone has these three questions swimming around in their mind, but they're maybe have a little bit more challenging time to articulate it. First question that people are thinking about is, when will I be in a situation where I can stop working if I want to? Right. It's kind of like that, you know, aspirational Freedom 55. When when can I be in a financial situation where I don't have to work anymore? That's one question people have. Second question they have is if something were to happen to me, is my family going to be okay? So that is a second question. And the third is, is, you know, after 120 years of not being around, am I going to leave a mess or things organized you know, in a proper way for my family. I would suggest that each of those questions are really what we talk about when it comes to holistic financial planning. The first question is really a retirement question. Will I be okay financially? The second question is really, you know, a risk management. Am I going to, you know, give, leave enough for my family? And the third one is really an estate planning. Is everything organized? So I think it's really incumbent that people take the time to get these questions answered because if you do get them answered, you have tremendous peace of mind knowing that everything is in its right place. Now, we're coming up to deadlines. So should people do a TFSA or an RSP or maybe a little bit of both? Well, look, it it it, it really depends on the individual. I kind of look at it, you know, when you go to a grocery store and it says, you know, there's a manager special on with a minimum four per person, right? The reason that the manager does that is because there's a bargain there, right? There's something good. So the same thing goes here in Canada. We have a couple of bargains that people should take advantage of. One of them is the RRSP. You know, basically it allows you to put away money every year and get a reduction on your taxes. So that's a great thing. And also the money that you now have put away grows tax free and, and it now becomes something that you build up so that by the time you hit, you know, age 71, when your RSP has to be converted into a RIF, now all of a sudden you have an income. So that's something that people should take advantage of even when they're older. And there are things called spousal RSPs where if, just a way to sort of balance out your RSPs that are important. So that's one thing. The TFSA is also brilliant. You know, the government goes ahead and says, here, you can put away $6,000 a year into a tax-free spending account or saving account, and your money grows tax-free. You can access it tax-free and pass it along tax-free as well. But one thing I like people to know, because we, we really specialize in the area of tax-exempt insurance, is if you knew, Libby, that there was a TFSA that you could put in more than $6,000 a year to, would that be of interest? Mm, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Most people, the uh, the disadvantage of TFSA is it's only $6,000. So we have a no-limit TFSA, either for people who have their own personal money or they have a business where you can put in money, it grows tax-free, you can access it tax-free and pass it along tax-effectively. And that's really using tax-exempt life insurance, which a lot of people don't understand how it works, so it's important. 
Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com. Mark is a certified financial planner, trust and estate practitioner, and master financial advisor in philanthropy. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Pat in Toronto called with his take on the issues affecting Ontario's teachers. Why are we not using the normal tools of industrial relations, which is you put this out to compulsory arbitration? And obviously the province doesn't want to do that because I don't think they'll come out the winners. And so therefore we continue this game. And at the same time, we had the um, we had the deputy ministers getting a fourteen percent raise there back in uh, November, I think it was. So how how do how do we balance that off compared with the uh, with the teachers who are simply trying to do their job? And now, fightbacks knockout call of the week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rachel in Brampton, who phoned to say parents need to stand up to cuts to education. I'm a mom as well. I'm a 17 years old. I have a child who's under the spectrum of autism, and this affected me uh, tremendously. I mean, I, I lost a couple of days' work, but I still support the teachers. And ex- exactly what they're saying the class size, the support is cut. And even my own child support is, you know, not the way it was before. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.